I'm reminded of uh, growing up in, in the Baptist church, and my mother played the piano in the church, and she would begin, uh, it was a common saying in the church, give me a clean heart so that I can serve you. It was part of a song, I think. And so that's what I want to begin with. I'm, I'm, my prayer is that I have a clean heart so that I can serve you and offer you all this stuff that I have on my paper. It is my intention to serve. And that's what this fourth principle is about this evening. It's about sharing without reservation what has been attained honorably. Sharing without reservation what has been attained honorably. And this is the perfect placement. We are on a sequence with these six uh, principles of cordiality. Um, you first have to learn how to say it in order for it to then be helpful. But uh, this is the fourth one, and it comes after three doses of loving kindness practice. So it implies that giving is coming from a place where there has been some cultivation of kindness, some, some composting, if you will, of an inner experience that then flows into the um, offer of sharing. And that's how I'd like to play with it. The sutta reads, bhikkhus dwell both in public and in private, in common with his companions in the holy life, sharing gains in accordance with the virtues of the Dharma, without reservation, including mere contents of his bowl. This creates love and respect conducive to cohesion, non-dispute, accord, and unity. So sharing without reservation what has been attained. Looking at that in the context of community, in the context of your holy companions, in the context of Sangha. And the way I'd like to play with it is in context in the world. So sharing being uh, another way of looking at generosity. And generosity is the discipline that makes peace possible. So we, when we are in the practice of giving, and the practice of dana, it is a gesture of making peace possible. It's a practice of high virtue in our practice here. And what is virtue in the Dharma? It's the precepts, it's the Eightfold Path, it's the paramis that are taught. But it's any action that benefits others. Any action that benefits others can be considered a virtuous act. Let me say that a little differently. Any act that benefits others for the benefit of all beings is a virtual, virtuous act. And in community, this giving is, shows up as an act of mutual compassion and respect and concern. So sharing is a relational activity. It's a relational activity. 
and the essence of it is um, an intention, an intending towards harmony. So the Buddha was a great example of this. The Buddha, you know, um, I understand he didn't really want to teach. He was, had these practices and, you know, felt like when he was, would talk to others about it, they didn't know what he was talking about. And he feared that it wouldn't make that much of a difference. And he was encouraged to teach. And it was out of his compassion for the concerns that he was trusting, was present in the community that he chose to share his gifts, his sharing of the Dharma, to share the experiences he had in his life that liberated his heart and mind. And here we are, 26 years, 2,600 years later, benefiting from that. So the Buddha's path uh, was, there was individual practices that he did. And then when he chose to share it, it became um, a, a gift to the collective. So this, this spilling over again from a place of metta, from a place of kindness. Um, the work is done at the individual level and the offer is, is, is something that benefits the community. And this is one way I understand this idea of being of service to all beings. Our practice is for the benefit of all beings. It's not that we get to keep it to ourselves. We can try. So just reflect for a minute, what have you gained honorably? As you look at your life, what have you gained honorably? And what do you give freely without reservation? What are the types of things you tend to give freely without reservation? What are your habits of giving? And under what circumstances do you hold back goodness? We have a pattern and a rhythm there. And we've all been conditioned as well. What do we tend to take for granted when we look at ourselves in relationship to community? And how do we share what has been given honorably when the wealth of this country, its lineage and its roots has been gained dishonorably at the expense of First Nations people, slavery, the planet, you know, just to name a few. As a collective, what, 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 what is our role and responsibility in this kind of uh, act of giving? This is not meant to be a criticism. This is a need, this is an area where we might want to wake up to see what our habits are and see what our choices can be. Rumi said that inside the great mystery that is, we do not really own anything. What then is this competition we feel before we go one at a time, 
through the same gate. So I want to talk a little bit about this sense of us, of belonging, and this sense of historic uh, amnesia that we have in, in the ways that we forget that we belong to each other. So we hold membership in each other's lives, whether we know it or not. And what we do next matters because there's a ripple effect that happens through our actions. is something Albert Einstein wrote, so you know how old it is. A human being is a part of the whole, called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separate from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us in our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the world of nature in its beauty. That's a profound and relevant statement to our time, this sense of delusion that uh, keeps us in prison and keeps us locked into a narrow view of our relatedness. So how do we begin to widen the circle and embrace all of the parts, if you will, the membership of our belonging? So one of the ways I look at this, especially in the work that I do um, on diversity and inclusion and equity and so on, is, is there tends to be, and I was speaking to this a little bit yesterday, there's a way that we can look at ourselves as individuals. We're looking at the relative reality, not so much in the ultimate, you know, not that they're terribly separate, but in our relational world, we're individuals. We have been shaped by our families and significant events in our lives. We've all had places where we've felt suffering. We've suffered. We've been resilient. There's been a sense of learning from it. We have this practice and we're even here to celebrate it a little bit. This journey we've been on to waking up in various ways along the, along the path. So at the individual level, we share, we share a journey that's kind of unique, um, and everybody here has a story that would probably blow you out of the water if they had a chance to really talk you know, to the world about it. So this is us as individuals. And our practice in sitting on the cushion can keep us siloed in just this narrower exploration. Um, and we, we never really have to think about how we might actually be impacting each other when we come and sit on retreats and we're silent and it's not engaged. You see, I also teach in these programs like the Dedicated Practitioner Program and the Community Dharma Leadership Program. And the minute we start talking, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> 
because there, our conditioning starts dancing with each other. And it's more than a notion. You know, then, we, then we're in the question of this dharma, how does it really work if, if this is the kind of stuff that happens? There's a gap between what we aspire to do and how we actually relate to each other. It's kind of like the Buddha was enlightened. We're bodhisattvas, we're not there yet. So we, we are in the throes of greed, aversion, delusion, you know, conflict, and, and this is one of the reasons a sutta like this was written. So we've got this individual way that we show up in the world, but we're also part of a variety of different group memberships. So I'm African-American, I'm lesbian, I'm a great-grandmother, I'm a writer, I'm a woman, you know, I was a teenage mom. I mean, we have all these different group identities that have also shaped our lives and that might even have a separate kind of um, cultural way of dealing with each other and might even be in conflict with each other. When my lesbian self shows up in my family's a Baptist, you know, collective, you know, it's not always so easy to, to be Buddhist, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? So sometimes our group identities and the various memberships we're in are in conflict with each other. But they all mean something to us. And whether we own the membership or not, we're members of these groups. Some of us know we're part of a group members, we're part of different groups. Others of us don't think about that. And therein lies some of the conflict that we can have. So as a collective, uh, you know, in this, in this, we have these different pockets. Some people, you know, they're not all created equal. It's not some la-la-la level playing field. There's power dynamics and privilege and folks that have some stuff and other folks that don't. And all that goes with trying to, to get and coexist with that. That's all at the collective level that's going on. And whether we know it or not, we are participating in that. So this is you know, useful to kind of wake up to. What impact does this have on collective well-being when we're focused on our own silo or group identity? You know, what if we think it's more righteous than anything else? So Martin Luther King said that power without love is reckless and abusive. And love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. I'll read it again. Power without love is reckless and abusive. And love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. 
and justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. So it's not so much, uh, you know, I mean, there's an there's a imbalance in uh, wealth and sh the sharing of wealth, and we know this in this country. And maybe we won't be able to fix this on this retreat. <laughs> but I think there's, um, it's not so much what you have, but what you do with what you have. And what are you doing? How awake are you to the impact of giving and not giving as we look at not just ourselves as individuals, but also as collective members in this humanity? So we're conditioned to notice certain things and not other things. And uh, one of the ways I've, I talk about this is the difference between the stars and the constellations. So there's a billion stars in the sky. We could see that as the individuals. And then there's shapes or constellations in the sky that we can learn to notice. Oh, that's the Big Dipper, or that's the twin Geminis up there. Or, you know, we can start to see the constellations, the shapes in the skies. That's the collective group identities that are floating up in the sky. Another way to understand this is I was, <coughs> I was at a talk, this is back when Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson. And um, there was a community group of people in Charlotte that came together to have the conversation about it. You know, what happened and what have you. And there was a little clip that uh, was showed and we got into small groups to talk about it. And I was in the group with, with mostly white, white people. And we were given a, uh, an assignment to go around and, and talk about how we felt about what we saw and how we understood the situation. So um, a white guy that was sitting next to me spoke and he said, he described the situation as, I cannot believe that that young man was killed by a police officer like that. It's, you know, criminal and, you know, something needs to be done about this. And he was sincere and hurting and uh, had tears in his eyes and, um, you know, was really eager and wanting to do something to figure out how to mobilize his energy and this upset he was having into some, something good. And when I shared, my sharing was, I cannot believe, and I don't know if I said that because I'm beyond not believing at this point, <laughs> but I said, I'm just crushed that once again, an African-American person has been killed by a white police officer, again. And this breaks my heart and this can't happen. I'm sincere, I've got tears in my eyes, and we're all, you know, in this conversation. The difference is stars and constellations. He saw a young person being killed I saw an African-American person being killed by the police. So there was color 
in my lens because that's my conditioning. And there's been patterns of the Great Dipper of this happening so much that that's what I see when I'm looking at a situation. That was not his orientation. This is a way we can miss each other because he saw the stars and I saw the constellation, different forms of conditioning that sometimes influence what we see, what we don't see, what we serve, and how we give. So it's hard, you know, so the giving might be the difference between serving someone on the streets that has, uh, you know, maybe doesn't have food and changing the system of, of, power, of hunger. That's the constellation. It's being in the, um, serving the prisoners in the prison system could be, that's more of an institutional intervention, but it could be talking to, uh, that's a good one, versus changing the policies. It's not either arm, but it's changing the policies of how so many people get into prison. Stars, constellation, stars, constellation. Where, where do you tend to look? Which influences what you see, what you don't see, and how you serve? Your dana, your generosity, your sharing without reservation, the goodness that you have earned. So there's a certain intimacy of concern that's involved. We're sharing with someone today that you know, these, these group identities that are the us and the thems and the, this country or that or the black or the white, they may not live next door, but they're still your neighbors. So how do we keep a certain per perspective around our collectiveness in this practice, which is what this practice supports us in? So it's kind of like... The next time, you know, a young black boy or kid is killed, I want you to think something like, oh, that's one of Ruth's kids. Let me check in with her and see. Let me see. It's, it would be like that if we started feeling into these situations more intimately, more personally. And this is not the only thing that divides us, as you know, there's a million different ways that we are splintered and severed at the heart. And that splintering and severing separates us as a collective. So we can look around and say, who's here, who's not? You know, how, what, what, what is Sangha? What is community? So it's our conditioning, it's our habit of heart and mind that influences how we see and how we share what we have. And the world we're living in right now is a result of karmic blooms, things that have been seeded prior to this time. So it really suggests to me the need to, to look at what we do next as a way of knowing that our actions support a certain bloom at some point. That's how powerful we are. We create waves. And we all have a soft spot. I heard Pema Schroden say that the soft spot is the weak link and the hard boundary of the ego structure. 
So ultimately this dana or this giving, if at its most precious level is kind of letting go of some of the ego construction that we've, we hold tight to that keeps that view so narrow. And the truth of the matter with this soft spot is that we cannot avoid touching each other's lives. We cannot avoid brushing up against each other and, and, uh, and it not have an effect. It's, it's just not unlikely. We may not know that that's the case. We may not be aware of our impact, but it doesn't mean it, it didn't happen. So there's all kind of sharing going on, <laughs> whether we know it or not. So the act of sharing um, creates a certain atmosphere, social atmosphere. This kind of gesture of generosity can be very healing. In the sutta, um, one of the things that happened in this conflict with the monks was that um, the community stopped feeding the monks during, you know, so much conflict that, that the community stopped feeding the monks and when things subsided, then the food started flowing again. That kind of interdependence, you know. Uh, that would have made me get over the conflict really fast. <laughs> if food wasn't good, like the food we had today, if that wasn't coming, then... <laughs> All of a sudden, it would be kumbaya. At the <laughs> <laughs> but there's a certain contagion with giving. So, so I'm in Italy, my partner and I, and uh, we were on our way back to, the, to catch the boat to go to our place we were staying, which was across the river. And we missed the boat. Now there's a, I know, you've, you've probably missed the boat before. So we're, we're in St. Mark's Square right there. Anyway, so it was just about sunset and the outdoor cafes were pulling out the chairs to, to play the jazz because there's these just jazz, beautiful jazz ensembles out there. So I, I was hoping to sit at one of these little places, but we, the, the boat, uh, the last boat was leaving too soon. And I, I didn't, we, you know, it wasn't the last boat, the one we wanted to catch. So anyway, as it turned out, we ended up being able to go back to this little cafe and sit outside. So we're sitting and the jazz is about to play. And this couple strolls by and um, the guy stops and he sniffs and he says, who, who has that cigar? And there was a table right next to us where a guy and his partner had a package of cigars sitting on the table and he looked and he said, oh my goodness, I've been looking for cigars for days. <laughs> and the guy sitting there, he says, I would be so happy to share a cigar with you. And the other guy said, oh no, I couldn't. I couldn't take this cigar. And he says, oh, you must, you must take this cigar. And, um, you know, the guy said, oh, it just, uh, just tell me where to go to get it. And he said, I insist that you take this cigar. Everybody else is saying, take the cigar already. <laughs> anyway, he took the cigar, and then there was this lavish exchange of gratitude. That it just seems like it went on forever, you know. 
it was so lovely. Oh, I, he smelled it, and then he shared it with his partner, and she smelled it, and they looked at them and said, oh, this is just so great, and, and uh, they looked at the box, and, and, you know, and then they finally got a table at this cafe, you know, uh, at the same little jazz place. And then they went over to their table, and then the guy went back and got the waiter and said, oh, give them, you know, some coffee and some tea. It's all on me. And he said, oh, you shouldn't. He said, oh, I must. And he says, oh, you shouldn't. And that went on again, and we're all doing this, saying, please get over this. But it was the sweetest thing. And then the couple went to their table with the cigar, and they sat down, they were grinning ear to ear. They lit the cigar and they were passing it back and forth like a joint. A smoke <laughs> <laughs> grinning and smiling at each other while they took puffs and shared it back and forth as if it was this elongated joy with this cigar. Now, you may not think this is great for the environment, but this was an exquisite experience of meta and sharing and everybody was affected by it. All of a sudden the music started sounding better and the people were all had smiles on their face. Now it could have just been me making it all up, right? But it was one of those moments where it was um, deliciously kind and contagious and it was such a simple thing that happened. And then we did make it back on the last bus, on the last boat back. But you could see the dance of, um, of, uh, of Donna, of generosity, of sharing, and everybody was affected by it. So sharing is the antidote to greed. It's the antidote to this um, way that we clamp down and clamp in. And sharing has two parts. There's the giving and there's the receiving of sharing. So I'd like to offer a little reflection for you here and invite you to just close your eyes for, for a minute or two. And taking a moment to just see what's happening in your body right now. Just notice and feel what's here right now. And take a moment to reflect on an example where you were genuinely giving to someone. Let's see if you can bring that into your heart-mind. A giving without reservation. And notice what's happening. What is the quality of heart that you're experiencing with this recollection? noticing 
And now I'd like for you to consider the time and care that it took for others to help you be born. Just imagine that for a minute. This didn't have to happen. Notice how you're impacted with this reflection. And next, consider that every day there's air, light, and a livable degree of heat that's given to you without which you wouldn't survive. Just pausing here for a minute to acknowledge all the ways you're served. And then finally consider a personal example of receiving, being given to, a time when someone gave to you, served you. Could be a few helpful words that somebody didn't have to say. Maybe support towards something you were working on or an offer of a cup of tea that someone made for you. Allow yourself to just have a sliver of the goodness, feeling that in your body of being cared for in this way. allowing it to be there. And you can open your eyes when you're ready. Sometimes we think about giving um, as a thing we have to do. And then there are times when we can experience the act of giving and receiving. We can actually open our awareness to have the experience of that action. And that's a different uh, invitation. Sometimes a lot of our giving is out of obligation. Or it's, we feel like it's something we must do. And um, so we don't always feel uh, that there could be a deeper river running there. 
uh, that it is our nature to give, but it is our conditioning to resist giving. So there's an interrupting of flow. It's against the stream when we're not flowing in this way. Sharing has to do with seeing, giving, receiving, and also forgiving because it is the unforgivingness that creates a certain coagulation of flow towards this natural river, this natural way that is, a, is our nature to share. We share because there's really not anything we can hold on to. So forgiving is a piece of this equation of sharing. It actually interrupts sharing. Ways we've been hurt, disappointed, the contraction we can feel sometimes when we've been bruised, cuts off the flow. Ways we've harmed other people and can't forgive ourselves. Alice Walker says, what if I remain human having done inhuman things? What if in doing these things I had a conscience or not had a conscience? How do I forgive myself? So how do I let this river flow? We can consider that forgiving is an act of dana, an act of generosity, an act of sharing, and a way of stopping the war on the inside, kind of putting things to rest a bit, this practice of forgiving. I heard it said that our failure to know joy is directly related to our inability to forgive. And there's a lot of joy in mudita and sharing when we're in our nature, when we're in our natural flow with it. And this genuine forgiveness creates a sense of flow and freedom. And we forgive to free ourselves up. Bitterness destroys the host. That's another saying I heard my mother use a lot growing up. So... So I'd like to have us close with a forgiveness practice for this evening and a guided practice in forgiveness to just have us look at ways we can just create a certain release so that our sharing is not so inhibited. And this guided meditation is inspired by Eric Kolvik's work. So I invite you to get comfortable in your seat. And again, turning your attention inward. Recognizing and resting right where you are.
And we'll be calling, having reflections here. And it's important that you listen deeply to what you're ready to forgive or not, or to allow or not. So use your best judgment on what supports you in this practice today. So beginning with a time, um, reflecting on a time when you may have caused harm to yourself. It could be a single incident or a recurring pattern while you're here on retreat that you're becoming acquainted with. Kind of a recurring theme song that won't leave you alone. Just bring whatever that is to mind. A way that you cause harm to yourself. And I'm going to offer some phrases and I want you to hear the intention that the phrases are coming from, which is the intention to forgive, not just the words, but the good intention that is inspiring the words. So I offer forgiveness. May I forgive myself. Just feel how you're touched by these words. I offer forgiveness. May I forgive myself. I accept myself as I am right here, right now. I accept myself. I allow myself to be imperfect. I allow myself to be imperfect. I allow myself to make mistakes. I allow myself 
to be a learner in this life. It's okay for me to learn. I forgive myself. I forgive myself. And if I can't forgive myself now, May I forgive myself sometime in the future. Again, noticing how you're touched by the words, the quality of heart as you take in the phrases in any way that you can. And next, bringing to mind a person that you've harmed. Don't invite all of them to come. <laughs> Just one for now. And see them in your heart and mind. Doing this with great ease and care. This reflection itself is an act of sharing. For any way that I have caused harm to you, in thought, word, or deed, out of fear, anger, or confusion. Please forgive me. Please forgive me for not being perfect. Please forgive me for making mistakes. Please forgive my ignorance and my innocence. Please forgive me.
ask for your forgiveness. And if you can't forgive me at this time, may you forgive me at some time in the future. of them to fade away. And now bringing to mind the person who has harmed you or disappointed you. Maybe not the most difficult person, but maybe someone you are ready to forgive or would like to explore forgiving. Bring them to mind. See them sitting before you. for the ways I've been harmed by you. Even in whether it was intentional, unintentional, in thought, word, or deed, out of fear, anger, or confusion. I offer forgiveness. I offer forgiveness. I forgive you for not being perfect. forgive you for making mistakes. I'm letting go. This letting go frees us. I forgive you for being a clumsy learner in this life. I forgive you. I offer forgiveness.
And if I can't forgive you at this time, may I forgive you at some time in the future. and letting them fade away. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Imagine in Sangha where the heart muscle is in a perpetual state of forgiveness practice. There's no shortage of things to, <laughs> to look at, right? But this sense of, I think of the image of the rotor rooter, the plumbing that um, clears things out so that uh, we can be in flow with our lives, our natural flow in our lives. And the war first stops in our own hearts. And the wise one is always the one that forgives first. So again, the sutta says, dwell both in public and in private, in your own hearts and in relationship, in common with his companions in the holy life, sharing gains in accordance with the virtues of the Dhamma, without reservation, including mere contents of his bowl. This creates love and respect, conducive to cohesion, non-dispute, concord, and unity. Sharing is generosity, is the discipline that makes peace possible. It's the discipline, it's the gesture, it's the practice that makes peace possible. And it's a practice of high virtue. And what is virtue? Any action that benefits others is a virtuous act. In community, in an atmosphere of mutual compassion and concern, this is a relational practice in our own hearts and mind. So let's just sit together a minute.
beings through our own example be free and extend freedom to all beings without reservation and without exception. May we all be free and may we all flow with the generosity of heart.